Do you feel beautiful? Do you look beautiful? Does one really affect the other? Welcome to Beauty Inside and Out with host Bonnie Bonadeo. In our show, we'll help you uncover your true self and unleash beauty that you never knew existed in order to be at your best, both inside and out. Now, here is your host, Bonnie Bonadeo. Hi, everybody. You're listening to Beauty Inside and Out Radio on Voice America, Spotify, Google Play, iTunes, and many, many more that I'm syndicated on at this point. So I always appreciate you, and thank you for joining us here today. We are in the month of April, beautiful April. I know everybody's excited to be, uh, you know, get the weather getting warmer. I know everybody's excited about spring and summer on its way. Um, And this month for the month of April, we are really working closely with our guests this month to be all about inspiration. So we're taking beauty on the inside and we're going to be talking about inspiration. Inspiration from the point of view of beauty to all the way to uh, leadership, astrology, um, being able to look at your life from from a life perspective. And then even, we're going to finish out the month with love. So let me give you a little bit of our lineup before I introduce my very first and wonderful guest with you. Um, Next week, we're going to be talking to Gary Howell, and he is a life coach. And it's really about, you know, going beyond positive thinking and and how that supports uh, a bit of wellness with us. And as we go into week three, I actually have a guest. His name is Samuel Reynolds, and he's an astrologer. Now, I know a lot of people kind of find this a very controversial subject. Some people believe in it. Some people don't. But I can tell you with what just happened yesterday with, you know, the full moon, the full worm moon, the, the, the equinox, the first day of spring, retro, Mars in retrograde, all of that stuff. I hear people talk about it all the time. So whether you are a believer in the sun and the moon and the stars or not, um, our guest Samuel is going to bring some perspective and some history to the definition of astrology. And then we'll close out the month with uh, Dr. Gary um, Salyer. And he uh, wrote a beautiful book, and it's all about love. So we're going to be talking about how to find love and what may be preventing us from having that healthy relationship in life. So we've got lots of inspiration to be able to share with you this month. But First, the inspiration that we're going to be talking about is one of my guests that I that has been invited back um, because I really enjoyed the first conversation with him, and it's uh, Dr. Arthur Sarah McCauley, and he has written a new book, and um, and I can't wait to tap into it, um, Dr. Arthur, because it's it really is well done and all of the key words that I think are missing to some degree in society today, you ended up incorporating into the book. So I'm excited to be able to share this with my listeners, and I'm, I'm excited to be able to hear more about your inspiration behind the book. So welcome. Thank you very much, Bonnie. It's good to be talking with you again. Yeah, yeah. So last time that you were on the show, um, we we chit chatted from a from a perspective because you really you really see value in the emotional connection with people. Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. had you What had you write this book, The Soulful Leader? Well, I wrote this book because I, I'm I'm so disturbed by what's happening in our country, not only in the corporate world but in the political world. Because I think we have, unfortunately, many soulless leaders, um, and I think the the lack of ethics and integrity 
and just understanding the value of positive connections has really been lacking. So I wanted to write a book talking about soulful leadership because I believe in soulful leadership, what I call AIE leadership, authenticity, Mm -hmm. integrity, and empathy. Because I think when people lead that way, believe it or not, profits increase in business and in corporations. I know you know that. But I think, you know, many people lead through aggression and fear. And when you lead through aggression and fear, you cause a stress reaction in your employees and they don't want to come to work. They particularly don't want to help you do well. And uh, everything goes downhill from there. So I, I was very motivated to write this because many people are thinking that this is the worst time in our culture. You know, 65% of Americans just a few months ago said they believe this is the worst time in our culture in their lifetime. So we're, we need people who lead differently. Yeah. And I, you know, I've, uh, I feel like that's not true for me. Um, I feel like there is a lot of angst and I think we're living in a very fast paced society. And I think that, you know, the technology is kind of creating that opportunity where you said this AIE approach, you know, authenticity, integrity, and empathy kind of gets sidebarred a little bit. So I'm glad that you've created something for the soulful leader and to be able to look at how every day we can take on some of these, these words, you know, like authenticity, integrity, and empathy and, and bring them into our day-to-day life because it makes a difference. And sometimes you don't even have to be the leader to bring them in. Yes. Um, so I, I, I like where you're, I definitely like where you're going with this. Let me give it, let me give everybody a little bit of history about you. So you have a PhD in education and you're a licensed clinical psychologist who's been treating clients for more than 35 years. So you've seen probably people under a lot of stress come to you, right? Yes, for sure. Yeah. So you're, you're, are you located in New York or Massachusetts? Well, you're up in Mass- Boston area, right? Massachusetts, Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and one of the things that you've done is you've been a contributor to the Creative Living Foundation as the chief medical, the formal chief medical officer. And tell us a little bit about that. Well, I was a chief medical officer for soundminds.org, which was a mental health site that was, it was a free site that we provided lots of information. I developed apps for them on depression and anxiety. Mm, which is a big thing going on in our society right now. I think that's one of the, I think that's one of the ones that, that I see we need to provide more information around, more education, and definitely more support. I mean, we hear a lot of times about um, our, our military, you know, coming out of their service and falling into these states of depression and, and, and you know, uh, not coming back feeling whole and healthy. But I think that, I think that it's very widespread. It's very widespread. Well, you know, there was a study just last week, Bonnie, that indicated that the, um, the degree of major depression among teens has increased 50% in the last three years. Boy, that is, that's frightening. Yeah. That's a frightening thing. But I can see that. I mean, can, can you see that um, as well in regards to, People are living their life online so that the perspective, the, the balance has shifted um, to real relationships, real connections, real compassion. Yes. I mean, the technology, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for technology because it helps me and I, lo- and I love yes. to do research. Uh, but 
it has been a very negative effect on many, many people, not just teenagers, but adults as well. I was, I was telling a friend on the weekend, I, I stopped by a place to get a sandwich last weekend after I was visiting one of my grandchildren. And I went into this little place and I'm with, I'm sitting at the bar with, and there's a mother, father, and a son. And there for 42 minutes, I timed it. They were on their phone the whole time. All, all on their phone. 42 minutes. No talking to each other. They're eating and texting. And, you know. And that, oh, and, you know, I think that there needs to be, like, visual awareness of this. Because I know we are all doing it occasionally. But when we – but I'm aware of it. Like, I'm consciously aware when – my phone is consuming a little bit of that, that personal time or even a little bit of that time with others. Yes. Well, you know, we've lost touch with knowing how to make connection. And what I try to point out in the book is that many people know, capable people know how to achieve, but they don't know how to love. They haven't learned how to connect. And the adults in in children's lives are working, you know, 60, 70, 80 hours a week, traveling, uh, and, and very much chasing that rabbit of, I need more money, and if I get more money, everybody will be happier, and it's a myth. It's what I call performance addiction. It's the belief yeah. that protecting appearance and achieving status will bring love and respect, and it doesn't work. You, you, can't, you can't get people to love you by how much money you have or how you, how you look. Do you think, too, that it is that the end outcome and result people are looking for is money or is it a, is it, is it a false connection? Is it that they want to be known or have a, a level of status, whether it equates to money or not? Cause I see that a lot in some of the industry that I represent um, that I'm out there in is that people want to be known and they hope that it translates to money, but their strategy is stops kind of short of profitable success. And it kind of yeah. goes towards, I just want, you know, 100,000 followers on Instagram. <laughs> well, it's, but it's either money, status, or appearance, thinking that that is going to bring you the love and respect that we all long for. All human beings want to be loved. We all want to be respected. We all want to be happy. But what brings that? You know, I wrote a book in 2000 called The Power of Empathy. And at that time, I, I couldn't prove that empathy makes brain changes. Oh, but now man. we know through functional MRIs that when you give and receive empathy, you produce oxytocin, which is what women produce when they're uh, pregnant. It's a near miracle neurotransmitter that makes people feel generous, compassionate. It makes people trust you. And it makes people want to engage with you. And if, when you're in business, why wouldn't you want those chemicals in your employees and in your customers' brains, you're trying to deal and negotiate with them. Yeah. You know, it's been proven now that environments with empathy, business environments that have empathy, they have twice the profits of, of business environments that don't have empathy. Yes. And so define empathy for us so that we're clear on when it's missing and when we can bring it into our everyday lives. Empathy is the capacity to understand and respond to the unique experiences of another. It's very different than sympathy. Sympathy rushes into console. Empathy is an assessment tool. It takes us, its time to look beyond the surface of another human being into the heart and soul of who they really are. Sympathy rushes in because if you had an experience that I had an experience, we assume it's the same. 
And we immediately say, I know exactly how you're feeling. You know, I went through a divorce too, or I had a parent who died also. And, but we don't know that. We don't know if your experience of your parent or your job or whatever is entirely different than mine. It means putting us aside and actually listening. Yeah. Empathic listening means aging in that other person, not me, you. And when we do that, give and receive that, we create a positive brain change. And environments like that, whether it's your family, whether it's your friends, or whether it's your business, everybody's happier when you have that positive brain change. Happy people are more creative, they're more productive, and profits increase. Oh, that's so true. And, and like one of the examples that I see a lot in the environment that I'm in is people's need to be right and protect themselves super exceeds empathy and compassion. Yes. And when they kind of are like, don't treat me that way. Um, why are you doing that? Why were you late three times or, or whatever these things are? And they kind of take it personal. They feel as though they need to direct the conversation based on, I need to be right. So you need to be wrong. And there's no empathy or compassion in that process. Yes. It's what I call pathological certainty. Ah, yes. That's good. That's good. Do you want to be right? Do you want to be happy? And do you want to connect with other human beings? And that's, that's where authenticity comes in. Mm -hmm. Because soulful leaders, when they make a mistake, they acknowledge it. And they learn from it. And they encourage their employees to learn from it. And then they move on. And everybody feels less stressed because you don't have to protect, pretend to be perfect. Everybody makes mistakes. Yeah. So give us, before we go further into the book, um, Dr. Arthur, uh, can I call you Dr. Arthur? Sure. <laughs> okay. Of course. <laughs> and the, give us a little insight into your history and um, the work that you've done and, and what are some of the things that you're really seeing that had you write, you know, Power of Empathy and the Soul for Leader? Where do you see the biggest disconnects that are happening and how can we kind of bridge those gaps? I think, I think that, you know, the rates of depression and anxiety and stress in our society are, are of the highest in the civilized world. We have the highest rates of obesity in the civilized world, the highest rates of diabetes, and even for children, we have the highest rates of diabetes and obesity. So we're a culture that we have so much, and we have so much access to education, we have so much information, but we have lost our ability to know how to connect not only connect in, the, in our personal lives, but in our professional lives as, as well. So knowing how to connect, if you know how to listen empathically and cause those positive brain changes in another human being, you can make friends wherever people will drop you in the world. And people will want to follow you. It, it's, it's, it's contagious. People want to be around you when you're like that. And when you're a leader, whether you're a leader in our family or in our business, People can't wait to be around you. They want to learn with you. It's exciting. Everybody's growing. Everybody's reaching more of their potential. And that's what, I mean, I, so many times people think a clinical psychologist like myself, I'm going to point out what's wrong with people. My, I'm not preoccupied what's wrong with you. I'm really more preoccupied with teasing out what's always been right with you, but it's been covered over by your own negative thinking. So when you do yeah. that, you're actualizing people's potential, which is a great experience. Yeah, that's really good. And I love how you've kind of surmised that under the word connect, because I think that we have, we've really gotten lost in even connecting with ourselves. We think we have to be a certain way. We watch um, things being a certain way. I think that we're 
you know, we're trying to be a certain way to mirror other people. Um, I think that the society we're in from advertising and reality shows and things like that have a tremendous influence on us that yeah. we stop having that innate intuition or instinctiveness about ourselves and what our needs are. Yes. We're living our lives from the outside in rather than the inside out. Ah, that's beautiful. I love that. That is definitely a, a worthy tweet right there. <laughs> Take a note on that. So give us a little bit more then. So we talked a little bit about authenticity and empathy. Tap into integrity for me. Well, integrity is, you know, a person that has values and they live their life according to their values. Just because they're in a business and, and, they, and they want to make money, they won't sacrifice being truthful. They won't sacrifice their character just to get ahead. They won't step on your toes just to get ahead. When you do that, you, you, spoil, you, you spoil the spirit of the people around you. you. You produce a stress response in them. When you produce a stress response, you produce cortisol, which is such a negative hormone to have in your yeah. body. You know, as you know, it causes inflammation, it kills neurons in the memory center of the brain, and on and on and on. So that's the environment you created. And why, why would anyone want to work for you? I mean, 70% of Americans in the workforce, in a study that I quoted in the book, said they would, they would not ask a leader a question. Why would they not ask a leader a question? Because of the way they get responded to. You know, I ask you a question, you say, you don't know how to do that, and you didn't get that to me and on the time I asked you to, and, you know, that short, impulsive reaction, and why would I want to ask you anything after that? I'm going yeah. to stay away. Yeah, so there's, so there's a lot of um, peer-to-peer connection at times because we're afraid to go to those leaders. Yes. Um, yes. But... But depending on where the peer sits in their own level of authenticity and integrity and empathy is going to dictate the team in general if, yes. if you don't have good followers. Yes. <laughs> you know, the Harvard Business School did a long-term study. and what, what did they determine in terms of the business world? EQ, emotional intelligence, yeah. was three times more important than IQ. Mm -hmm. That study repeated and repeated and repeated. Why is that? If I don't know how to connect with you and you don't know how to connect with me, we're actually going to produce something good? Very unlikely. Yeah. Very unlikely. Yeah, that's so interesting. So the integrity part, you know, I, I, I kind of see these words that you're using, this AIE approach, you know, authenticity, integrity, and empathy. It's like, it's, it's my truth. My truth. You know, I've had certain experiences that affect me certain ways. And I get triggered like any other human being when these experiences kind of show up in a similar pattern for me. I know that. Yeah. Um, but the, the integrity part is, is that I have to be true to myself. I have to own and be true to myself in that. The empathy part for me really comes in when I can say, this is my messaging going on, not them putting it on me. So I have to make sure I'm separating myself and what I'm feeling from what they may be feeling and really get to the heart or the bottom of what's going on here. And, and that's a very vulnerable place for a leader to go. Yes, yes. But what happens when a leader exposes vulnerability? Everybody else does too. Exactly. And we're in this imperfect group where we're just brainstorming. We're, we're, we don't feel inhibited to express what we think. 
And maybe it's not completely accurate, but now you have a whole group of people that are open to the possibilities of whatever we can produce. Yeah. I'm just listening to you talk. One of the reasons you have followers, in my humble opinion, you're authentic. It's obvious that you're genuine. It's, you know, I feel like I'm talking to a real person, not somebody who's just uttering a technique or, or just projecting a persona to have viewers. You have viewers because they like you, because you're likable and you're authentic. That's, you're in a leadership position. Mm-hmm. And why wouldn't I want to listen to you? Yeah, that's so. That's true. And so we look at these, um, you know, even from small businesses, like I, I, most of the business that I do in, in my coaching capacity in speaking um, is mainly with small businesses. So even in small businesses, there's this innate fear for people to not be liked by their teams. You know, mm-hmm. I think leaders have this they either want to be very difficult and structured and don't, and then they say things like, I don't care if I'm liked, but that's really not true, is it? That is ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> there was a study, 51,000 leaders were studied, 51,000. And guess what the, the outcome was? The, the main caveat that was determined by that study of all those leaders, if you're disliked as a leader, you have a one in 2,000 chance of changing anyone's mind. Uh, those are, those are some terrible odds. Huh? And what happens when I come to work and I don't like you? Do I want to make you look good? People will undermine you when they don't like you, even if their bonus depends on it. Yes. Studies have indicated and proven that people will work for less money if they like you. So saying that I don't care if people like me is like saying I don't care if my children like me. That's yeah, ridiculous. It's, it's a ridiculous statement, but I think that they feel like as the leader – they have to kind of put themselves in this bubble. And the minute they do, there's no vulnerability. There's no integrity. There's no empathy. Um, and I see this like transition in the small businesses where it's like they either, they're kind of stuck between two places. I don't care if they don't like me or I want everybody to be my friend. Right. And talk about this side where maybe they want everybody to be their friend and being in a leadership role. Look, if you're a leader and you're, you're trying to be overly pleasing to get people to like you to make up for some, uh, some insecurity that you have, that's not going to work very well. At the same time, as we were talking earlier, if you're leading be- through anger and, and, and fear, that's not going to work very well either. What, what's in the middle? Somebody who's balanced, who can set limits when you need to. You know, when I had a department at a hospital and, and people would say, if I had to fire someone, which I hated to do, I would give you a warning months ahead. I'd say, Bonnie, everybody else comes in here at 8 a.m. You come in quarter nine, 9.30, quarter of 10. You can't do that anymore, okay? You need to come on time or I'm going to have to let you go. Then the person would continue to do it, be entitled, and then I'd say, I got to let you go. And they said, you're firing me? And I'd say, no, you fired you. I didn't fire you. Mm-hmm. I yeah. don't want to fire you. But you're not that special that you could just do that. You have to adhere to what everyone else is doing. You're part of a team. So when you lead that way, you're saying, I'm giving you a warning. I'm trying to help you, but you're not helping yourself. Is it my fault that people don't want you here? No. You determine the outcome, not me. And And so they lead from the bottom up, not the top down. You know, they, they associate themselves with everybody. They know who the secretaries are. They know who the receptionists are. They know who plows the snow. They know who does the landscaping. They know who fixes the computers. 
because they value every human being. And when you see a leader who's soulful, who values every human being in your, in your environment, everybody else wants to do it too. And then it becomes a very high-spirited organization. Yeah. And that's part of that's part of really doing the culture. So you've got the small business on one hand and you've got the the high level businesses, the very corporate environments that seem to be, you're right, fear. I heard you say the word fear and profits. Yeah. So they're they're leading by fear and they're determined to get profits. And I'm thinking, but that doesn't make sense. Fear is not going to equal profits. Un- un- unfortunately, many men, and I think it's more men in particular have grown up believing that, that you lead through aggression. Mm. You know, women tend to lead in a circle. Men yeah. tend to lead in an hierarchy. You know that. So when you're leading in a circle, we're all together in this. We, we, you feel part of a team. When it's just an hierarchy, and the only people I talk to or go to lunch with, if I'm a CEO, is my CFO or my CIO. But I don't, go, I don't associate with anybody else. You know, we, we eat in a separate room. Or we go out to di- we go out to lunch at a fancy restaurant, but we don't invite anybody else. Well, yeah. how do you feel when you're working for somebody like that? You feel less than. Yeah, yeah, you f- and you feel like if, especially I think from a woman's perspective, it's like I can't live in that world. So even so, I'm not going to ever be that leader, or yes. I'm I'm not going to have the chance to get to that leadership role because I can't live in that world. I'm yes. not allowed. Yeah. yeah. Can you, before we take our first break, and since we kind of did define a little bit of the male and female dynamics here, what are some, what are some opportunities in order to create that, that really powerful culture that both men and women can do? Because there are differences, and, we, and we, we can't deny that there's differences in leadership styles sometimes um, yeah. between the men and women. But the most balanced leader, the most balanced soulful leader – leads according to the situation they're in. I mean, there's not a gender bias there. They, they, and, and they realize that diversity helps, not only diversity in gender, but diversity in ethnic origin and race. If you have two black women and, a, and an Argentinian man and a Japanese man and, and someone else of a, from England and, you, and you're putting those people in a group, you see all the variables that exist in the world. If you get 10 white 50-year-old men trying to design a strategy for a particular company, you're preaching to the choir because they all kind of think alike. And soulful leaders are open to diversity. They don't have a gender bias. They don't have an ethnic bias. And they don't have a racial bias. They have a enjoyable people who want to grow and reach potential bias. Yeah, I love that. That's really great. Well, we're going to take a quick break right now. Um, and I hope you guys have all are listening intently to this because, I mean, I'm fascinated by these conversations of leadership because – I see that leadership kind of just narrows down things into human skills. And we can all take on these positive human skills in order to have better relationships in life and, of course, enhance our leadership, too. Um, and so we're going we're gonna to take a quick break. We're going to be back with uh, Dr. Sierra McCauley shortly here. But I just want to let everybody know that uh, be sure to go tap into my social media accounts. And if you want more information, uh, further information in regards to beauty, beauty from the inside out, inspiration, um, all of this, you can find it on my pages at Beauty Insight and Out Show. And if you like watching the videos with my guests, you can also go on to my YouTube channel. Just look me up as Bonnie Bonadeo, and all of my shows are on the YouTube channel as well. So we'll be right back.
the Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Are you looking to uncover your authentic self? Looking to improve your communication, selling, or public speaking skills? Discover Naked Audience Productions trainings on public speaking, leadership, sales, and healing. Mastering the art of authentic communications can change your life in many ways. From promotions to profits to enhancing any relationship, whether it's business or personal, finding and speaking your naked truth is a beautiful thing. Visit www.napevents.com or call 877-319-2403. That's napevents.com or 877-319-2403. After years of waiting, there's a radio show for shotgunning enthusiasts worldwide. Tune into Marty Fisher's Wing and Clay Nation for the very best in wing and clay shooting talk. Join Marty and his guests as they bring you hunting and shooting information that you can use. So whether you're a beginner or a seasoned pro, this show can be your go-to source for wing and clay shooting information. Listen live every Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific for Marty Fisher's Wing and Clay Nation on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is on Instagram. Make sure you follow us and comment on our pictures from behind the scenes at our radio shows, live events, and around the network. We want to see what you have to share as well. Check us out on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Beauty Inside and Out with Bonnie Bonadeo. If you have a question or comment about our show, please send an email to Bonnie at BonnieBonadeo.com. That's Bonnie at BonnieBonadeo.com. Now back to Beauty Inside and Out. Hi, everybody. We are back to Beauty Inside and Out, and we're here on the Voice American Network. I am live every Thursday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, so I hope that you can join me. But listen, if you can't make the live shows, which I understand we're all very busy in our lives, we convert to a podcast um, immediately um, on that same day. And that gives you access to being able to listen to hundreds of shows that I have. And with over 50,000 listeners and 18 different countries that we're broadcasting in, um, there's pretty much a topic that I think you might be interested in. This month, we're in the month of April, and we're, we're calling it Inspiration Month. And my guest today is Dr. Arthur Sarah McCauley, and he is a, a PhD and an EDD, and he has authored a book called The Soulful Leader, Success with Authenticity, Integrity, and Empathy. And in our first segment, we really tapped into all three of those words, um, But I like what you shared, um, Dr. Arthur, when you stated that we have to build a soulful culture. So how do we do that? How do we build a soulful culture? Well, we build a soulful culture when when you have leaders that want to be of service. Mm. They're not just focused on profit, but they want to be of service to others. They are intimately aware of all the people in their organization. As I said in the first segment, they lead from the bottom up, not the top down. And they have passion. They have passion for what they're doing. And that passion becomes contagious. And they also really 
are very authentic and real, and they can acknowledge mistakes when they when they when they make them. That they don't hide behind um, what I called earlier pathological certainty. They acknowledge when they make a mistake, and they learn from them, and they help their team learn from them as well. So they're open to the possibilities of growth. Yeah, let's talk from a perspective of of really big here, from that that corporate. Um, environment. What changes do you see could be made in order to create a more healthy work environment? I think you have to understand the role of empathy and the role of listening first. Mm. I think when you don't know how, when you don't listen, you know, when you're talking to someone and their mouth is going like this and you can see they can't wait to talk while you're talking, they're not really listening. And when you know a leader is not really listening to you or has little interest in your ideas, but just wants to flaunt his or her ego, it, it really creates a stress response and people really don't want to perform or be around you. When you know how to listen, when you listen with empathy, you slow everything down and you're the voice of reason in conflict. That's what, what soulful leaders do. They listen empathically and they try to ascertain the facts. When people have a conflict with each other, they listen to the facts. They don't have a bias. And because of that, people come to them. People want to come to them in conflict because they know they'll sort things out in a rational, reasonable way. Yeah. So I, I have a, a leadership book coming out as well in June. It's oh, wow. a collaboration with some other great leaders too. And I, I titled my chapter The Curious Leader because I really feel that curiosity and empathy go hand in hand. You yes. Sometimes you can't be empathy unless you unless you're willing to dive a little deeper and be curious as to what's, what's behind this, what's creating this, what's, what's having this behavior or this environment be unstable for you. Boy, that's a, that's a great point that empathy involves curiosity because I would agree with you, although I haven't thought of it quite that way, but because when you have empathy, you're, I'm interested in you uniquely. Yeah. I'm interested in what you, who you are and what your ideas are uniquely. So that means I'm curious about you. And when people sense that you're curious about them, they, they want to open up to you. They feel Yeah, there's far more connection in that moment. Far more connection because you're causing a brain change. You're producing positive neurochemicals. And when you do that, people feel safe with you. When people feel safe, they talk more. As we talked in the first segment, 70% of people workers in the business world feel hesitant to ask a leader a question. That's horrible. Can you that imagine is, seven out of ten people don't want to say anything to you because they're afraid of how you I respond? I see that. I see that in my work. I see that in the environments that I'm surrounded by. Um, and I can and I know that what happens, you know, I, I said that my like I say my brand is that I'm a connector. And this particular brand essence that I say that I have is not because I'm a great networker or I can make everything happen and connect people to people. I'm one of those people that when I'm out and about in just everyday environments and public environments, people come up to me and ask me questions all the time. Mm -hmm. So they might think that I work there or they see me as a safe person. And for a long time, I, I, I was very frustrated by people coming up to me and annoying me, right? That's how mm -hmm. I looked at it. And I, when I realized it was my gift, like part of my gift was is that if people felt safe enough to come up and ask me questions 
that they didn't know where baggage claim was or where the restrooms were or how to find the little kids department in a store or, you know, I, I think the one of the recent ones I had was, you know, uh, artichoke hearts in a jar. <laughs> where do I find artichoke hearts in a jar? And where I used to kind of dismiss them, I now, I look at them and I say, hmm, I don't know. Let me think. Maybe by pickles? Maybe it'd be on the pickle aisle? You know, like I, I find myself wanting to reach out and connect with them because they somehow feel safe to ask me these questions. And it's, and it's my way of contributing to the greater good of humanity. If that's all I can do it, you know, in a day's work sometimes to be able to do that. But I think that what, what's happening in a lot of our relationship environments and corporate and business and under leaders is that performance is super exceeding everything. Mm -hmm. People come up to you because they sense that you'll be open to them. They yeah. pick that up immediately. It's, it's many seconds. They, they pick it up immediately, just like they know when there's someone that you can't approach. You know, I, I have a, an example of, I, I see two women, one, um, and one is a professional model, and the other is very plain looking, okay? And they come 3.30 and 4.30 every Wednesday. So they became friends because they walk out and they chat a little bit in between. So one time, the, the model is, she comes first, and then she walks out, and she sees the woman who's plain looking. She was driven to the session by a tall, handsome cardiologist. <laughs> and the next week she comes in and she says, I love her. She's such a nice person. She's so nice to talk to. But what do you, how can that happen? She gets the handsome cardiologist and I, and what about me? Just look at the difference between us. And I said, the difference is she smiles and she engages. And you talk mainly about, can you see my gray hair? I think there's a line over here. I got a line. You're so self-preoccupied. You're not very, very engaging. And, and she really didn't understand that at all because she's been on the cover of, you know, magazines. And here's this plain looking woman who's just a, a delight to be with. Okay? Yeah. It's her personality. She becomes prettier every time you interact with her. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I love that. You wouldn't um, approach the model in a supermarket, trust me, because I don't think she'd say hello. I don't think she'd be smiling. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it, there, there would be a level of intimidation in all of that. Um, what was it that I got just yesterday? I got asked something. I'll think about it here in a minute because it was it was funny. It was like, again, it was one of those moments where, um, you know, I, I don't I don't plan. For, oh, the, I was in a I was in a, a department store. And uh, this woman goes, excuse me, excuse me. But I didn't know she was talking to me because I was kind of on a, another aisle behind her where we could kind of see through each other. And then I just kind of kept walking around and she goes, she goes, Oh, I'm sorry. She goes, that was me calling you. I just feel like I need a second opinion of whether I should buy these shoes or not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they were fabulous. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I didn't know you were talking to me. Of course they look fabulous on you. Buy them. <laughs> yeah. So it's a compliment to you. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. this performance addiction world that we're kind of in, it's personal and it's, what else? If it's, you know, like you had described the model, that's very personal per performance addiction. But how does that, how does that then kind of trickle down in a corporate environment? Well, because performance addicts are always comparing and contrasting themselves to other people. Uh, so they're, they're very critical of themselves and they, they, they're intolerable of making a mistake. 
because when they make a mistake, they think they are a mistake. So they don't only compare and contrast themselves to other people constantly. They do the same with their employees, their spouses, their children, and they can drive people crazy because they're so preoccupied with status and esteem. And they think they can perfect their way into happiness. And, and, and it's impossible to do it that way. And they make people feel uncomfortable. It's like when you go to somebody invites you to dinner and you go to their house and you sit in the living room and as soon as you put down your glass of wine they come out and they clean a little because you spilled a little water and they pick it up and they put it in the sink and and then somebody else you go to their house and you sit in the living room and they order pizza and <laughs> you just feel much more comfortable yeah. because they're not so preoccupied with being perfect perfection causes anxiety anxiety produces less performance and less happiness and less creativity so performance addicts are convinced that their appearance and status is going to bring them love and respect. And unfortunately, it's a mythical belief. It's a belief system that just doesn't work. Unfortunately, many people don't realize it until they get much older. You know, I, I gave a talk to 100 CEOs out in Idaho a few weeks ago, and a man came up to me. He was 76 years old, and he said, you ruined my day. And I said, well, what did I do to ruin your day? He said, look, I'm 76 years old. I own seven companies. I've got more money than God. And I have two sons. I sent them to private colleges, private high schools. I bought them cars. I brought, took them to vacations to Europe, New Zealand, Australia. And I see them once a year. I have two daughter-in-laws, four grandchildren. I see them maybe once a year. He said, you're right. He said, I knew how to achieve. I knew how to make money, mm. but I'd never learned how to love. And he asked me, he said, is it is it too late? I said, no, it's not too late. But no. You need to call your sons, go see them, and tell them you feel bad that you didn't know how to do it. You're just learning how to do it. Yeah. You, you want to connect, but you just didn't know how. And it was yeah. sad. I mean, looking at this man who has everything on one side, perfect resume, and no love on the other side. Imagine uh, having two sons married with grandchildren, and, you, and you don't, they don't even have a desire to see you. So they always say they're too busy, or they can't, or... They don't really want to be with him because they're not comfortable being with him. Yeah, it's so true. And and I really think that, you know, part of part of this, this generational diversity that we're in right now, you know, we 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 really do have very distinctive attributes. Each generation does. You know, not one generation is better or worse than the other. But we, as baby boomers, I grew up as a very hardworking person. I knew that if I worked hard, I would achieve certain things. And I think the generations below us are, are thinking, I don't want to work that hard. I don't, I, I don't want to work 40 hours a week. And I still want to make the money, but I don't want to work 40 hours a week. But it's, it's partly our fault that we've created this generation of people that don't want to do that because we did so much for them. We were doers. Yes, yes. And then we overdo it with our kids. We've all done that. Yeah. <laughs> they walk out into the world and they're expecting the world to treat them like their parents do. Yeah. So my son is, um, he's, he's in his, uh, he's finishing his second year of college. He just got uh, invited into a MIS program at Eller Business School. School, And his, his, I really believe that he has some amazing leadership qualities. I've in every time I do a leadership program, I always bring up some examples of my son um, in regards to being being that curious leader that I was talking about earlier. 
But what what advice can you give this younger generation that's stepping into the workforce to be the kind of soulful leader that you're talking about so we can change the way that this in this the way we feel in these environments today? I think I think young people have to realize that they have to embody AIE leadership. You have to be authentic. You have to have integrity, and most importantly, you have to have empathy. Mm-hmm. You don't have empathy. The likelihood of you having a successful personal and professional life and being happy is very low. Empathy calms us. It produces positive neurochemicals, and it does that in the people we relate to as well. If you, if you want to be a soulful leader, you have to be a balanced leader. You have to lead a life outside of work where you take care of yourself and the people close to you. You have to know how to love so that when you go back to work, you're resilient. You can tolerate the stress of work and the difficulties in a work environment because you're coming home to something that's very enriching every day. If you yeah. don't know how to relate at home, like my, my, my elder CEO, and you don't know how to maintain closeness at home, then you go to work and you're, you're stressed in both environments. There's no relief. And then what happens? You start drinking too much, or maybe you drug too much, or maybe you eat too much. You have to look to some way to reduce the tension. Then you start taking sleeping pills. I see people in their 40s that come to see me who are leading small businesses or C, C, CFOs, and they, they're coming in and they're overweight. They have high blood pressure. They have high cholesterol. They don't exercise. And, and they're wondering why they're unhappy. And all they're thinking about is I need to make more money. Or that the other side of it that I hear a lot of times too is I can't take time off or no, I, I have to work or it's a busy time of the year. I, you know, I, I can't go, uh, I can't find time to exercise. I'm in traffic for an hour and then I'm working all day. And they're using these things as excuses because they're so focused on maybe the fear of losing their job or the fear of not doing their job well. And they don't understand that if you have a balanced life, if you know how to take care of yourself, you have proper nutrition, you get enough sleep, and more importantly than anything else, you know how to love with empathy. If you know how to do those things, you're going to be less stressed, no matter where you are. Yeah. But you have to learn that piece. before. That's the foundation of being able to be a soulful leader. Soulful leaders are noted for having balanced lives. When you see them with their family, you see they're happy. They know how to relate. Their kids love them. Their little kids come in and they jump all over them. And they get down on their knees and know how to relate to children. They work with intensity, but they also have fun with abandonment. They, they know how to be spontaneous and just laugh. Balanced, balanced soulful leaders, they can tear up at a funeral, but they're a lot of fun at a party. They're not, they don't have one way of relating. They, they relate given the situation they're in. They're present. Yes, they're present. Yes, exactly. they're, re- they're really present. And, and so they have to be first present with themselves and their own emotions and feelings um, in order to really be present with another. Yes, and what they often don't realize is a lot of these very driven people are so driven because they're trying to compensate for some lack of self-esteem that, that they had that they learned earlier about themselves. They learned some distorted things about themselves early in life. And they think because they're capable, you know, I wrote a book called The Curse of the Capable, because a lot of very capable people, they can achieve, they can earn more, and they can, they can en- enhance their resume, but they're not enhancing their love. Yeah. They don't know how, they really don't know how to do that. And they think enhancing the resume is somehow going to make people love them. It doesn't work that way. Yeah, it's, um, 
in some of the experiences and the work that I've done and, and the, the uh, support that I've had um, through various entities and everything, I, I really, I learned something very valuable and, and it, it helped me to become a much better leader because I was, I was a bit of a bulldog um, as a leader and only because I had these expectations that if I'm driven, you need to be driven. If I move this fast, you need to move that fast. And, yeah. And I didn't have connection with my staff and I was put in awkward situations and even got fired from one company because they're like, you're a high performing person and nobody likes you. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm like, wow. And I, you know, I, I was devastated and I was hurt and I was, it was painful because I didn't know how else to be, but I discovered, you know, one of the things that was kind of a, a foundational piece for me is that I am a survivor. You know, I, I, I truly, you know, endured things in my childhood that I didn't want to experience and they were kind of my armor. So I was like pushing, pushing, pushing for success and maybe in that performance addiction that you were talking about. And I, once I became kind of like you said, more of a soulful leader and I understood authenticity and integrity and empathy, I then became way more balanced. And in, and in this balance, I started to thrive. Like mm -hmm. it naturally started to thrive once I found some of this balance. And people like you that way. See, your personal story is so poignant and compelling because, you know, you went from what you learned early on and maybe thinking to compensate for maybe the struggles early in life, you need to be a certain, a certain way. And then you learned that that doesn't really work. It doesn't. And it was, it was, listen, it wasn't like a, oh, okay, so this doesn't work. It was a hard fall. <laughs> and I yeah. needed support and I needed the professionals. I needed professional people to kind of give me insight so I could say, oh, because we get to this point in our lives where we just keep kind of pushing forward and pushing forward and our, our patterns are very, very intact. Yeah. And I mean, even to this day, I still recognize areas that come up for me in this arena of, you know, wanting to be this driven, high performing person. But then I think, eh, but it's, but it's also going to affect my balance, my life, my health. And yeah. I don't want anything affecting my health right now because life is difficult enough. Yes. 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 Now, now, thank you for sending me my copy of the book. This oh, no, you're, you're welcome. I really appreciate that. I, you know, as I was kind of breezing through it, I haven't finished it, I'll have to admit. But as I was breezing through it, I, every chapter has a word that if we just spent time on each and every one of these words, like integrity, humility, happiness, tolerance, resilience, listeners, all of that any, even if you took on one part of it, you could be a better leader. But what was your favorite part about writing this book? Um, I, I think because I, I, I just, it, you know, the story you just told about your own journey, that's the favorite part because I know that people who led the way you were in the, in the earlier part of your life, I know that I, the book and, 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 and the information in it can bring people to where you are now. I mean, not just the book. You have to practice. It changes an active yeah. process. But that's what I love, teasing out that potential and maybe making the correction there so people can lead with joy and become soulful leaders like you have been. So yeah. your, story, I, your story is the epitome of the book. 
Yeah, and I love the fact that you use the word joy because that was really what came out of it. Now, you know, I, I think that we're befuddled by the word happiness a lot of times, you know, like happiness to me feels external. Like it's the first mm-hmm. day of spring that makes me happy, but it's green, or gray and cloudy outside. So that doesn't make me happy. So I can always kind of rebuttal happiness. But mm-hmm. joy, I really feel like is this internal expression of, of what I've gained, you know, what mm-hmm. I had to learn and mm-hmm. what I've gained in life and that it's, I can hold on to it. It doesn't go away because there's rain or clouds or yeah, a delay on my flight to where I'm trying to go. Yes. And as I said earlier, happiness is not something you pursue directly. It's a byproduct of giving, of being of service. Mm, yes. When, when you are of service, you naturally become happy. Right. Yeah. Which which um, we need to be more, we need to be more of service of other people in, in multiple parts of our life, not just in our work environment, but be of service in many parts of our life. Yes. Yeah. Because yeah. it does, it does. I think it really does make you happy. And if it's going to create some of that oxytocin, then I want it. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to keep me, keep me beautiful on the inside. And of course, that does have a reflection of beauty on the outside as well. Yeah. Yes, you radiate on the outside. It's like, my, like my, my, my plain looking patient who um, becomes very pretty as she interacts with you. And I no longer see her as plain looking because yeah. I enjoy interacting with her because her insides come out. You know, it, it she lives from the, she has a joy internally, but she shares it with the world and you feel comfortable and engaged when you're with her. Oh, that's so beautiful. And that really is, that, that kind of embodies integrity. You know, the integrity is, is making good choices from the inside out. Yes. You know? yes. And empathy is being able to look at the, what is the impact that my choices make on others? Yes. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yes. So tell yes. us, how can we get this beautiful book and become well, my, web, my website is balanceyoursuccess.com. If people go to the website, you just click on the book and you can order it. And it's on all the major websites as well. But if you go to the, the website, balanceyoursuccess.com, you just click on the book and it will take you right to the publisher. Perfect. Great. That's so wonderful. So balanceyoursuccess.com. Mm-hmm. Um, is how we're going to be able to find and buy the book. And, and what, what, what final words would you like to share with our listeners today? Everybody is born with the capacity for empathy. But if you don't practice it and disciplined in trying to expand it, it's like a muscle. If you don't use the muscle, it atrophies, and so does empathy. Everybody has it. We all have empathy neurons in our brains. Try to expand your empathy no matter where you are, at work, at home, You'll be happier, you'll be more joyful, and it's contagious. People around you, if you're looking for love, you will gain love that way. Unquestionable. Ah, oh, that's beautiful. So we're all going to be soulful, empathetic leaders. Thank you, Dr. Arthur. You're, you're very uh, welcome. Perfect. So the soulful leader, you can get at balanceyoursuccess.com by Dr. Arthur Sertmacoli. Um, I'm so glad you were able to join us again, and you're kicking off our Inspiration Month with such joy here. So I'm looking forward to being able to share uh, next week's guest, Gary Howell, uh, and we're going to talk about the beauty of positive thinking and how that does impact and and support our happiness. And I have a feeling, Dr. Arthur, that this conversation 
of empathy and integrity and authenticity is going to carry through the whole month thanks to you. And good luck with your book. And please, anytime you uh, author a new one, please reach out to us so that we can have you back on and uh, share your knowledge and joy with our listeners. Well, thank you very much. You're a joy to interact with. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, Bonnie. Thank you for listening to Beauty Inside and Out. Please join your host, Bonnie Bonadeo, again next Thursday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a great week.